Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and pray. Wonderful Lord, we love your beauty right now. We love your perfection, Jesus. There's no one more beautiful. There's no one more perfect. There is no one more wonderful. And God, we thank you this morning. We are not encamping around a sermon or a denomination or a church, but we're encamping around the presence of Jesus. We're encamping around you, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. Let us be like Moses this morning, who was acquainted with your ways. And when the Israelites only knew you for your works, Moses knew you for your ways. So, Lord, we ask you, give us a fresh revelation of your ways this morning. Open up Jesus and give us a fresh revelation of your son this morning because it's only by his words that we have the bread of life. Apart from him, we have nothing. So Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, uh, we just finished a three-month series on prayer. How many of you have enjoyed that series? And uh, we had a couple guest speakers and we were just coming off Holy Week. And so Pastor David told me it's a free-for-all. Talk about whatever you want to talk about this morning. And so um, I want to talk today about pillars of fire, or another word, way of saying it, pillars of revival. I'm going to elaborate more on that soon, but, but if you can't tell, we are in a move right now. I believe we're in the precipice of it, the beginning stages of it, but we're truly in a move of God in this house. And I want to tell us that because uh, that does not happen casually. (laughs) Moves of God never happen flagrantly. It doesn't happen by us as a church just going on doing business as usual. It comes by a a group of people who set their hearts and their minds to a place of prayer. Prayer always precedes revival. There's no other way around it. There's there's no substitute for revival. It's only prayer is the it precedes the coming of Jesus. It precedes revival. And I said at the beginning of our prayer series that there is a difference between what's in my heavenly account and what's in my possession. So there's promises in our account in heaven and there's what is manifested in my hand and prayer is the transaction that moves what's in my account into my possession and it manifests heaven on earth. (laughs) That's what happens. And so I believe what we're experiencing right now as a house, as a people is a direct correlation to what we've been sowing in the place of prayer these last three months. Can you feel it in the air? The air feels different than it did three months ago, and it should. <laughs> uh, how many of you were here Wednesday night? Wasn't it such a beautiful move? I mean, I, I, I was in the youth room, and I came out, and I think Edward stopped me. He's like, the air just feels thick in there. I could barely breathe, but I could breathe. It was just everything glorious at the same time. And so, and so that is called a move of God. That is revival. And, you know, revival... It's, it's really thrown around a lot. That word has kind of lost its meaning in a lot of circles. It's like, it's just thrown around like revival, revival, revival. It's become this kind of ethereal kind of general statement that we say, but I want to tell us as a church, revival is Jesus. (laughs) 
When we get him, we get revival. When Jesus comes, the miracles come. When Jesus comes, everything changes. Jesus is revival. Revival is Jesus. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a show that Emily and I like to watch called The Office. How many of you have ever heard of The Office? <laughs> oh, English, totally, totally American version. <laughs> it's a show we watch to just kind of wind down our brain and kind of, kind of when we're stressed out, just watch The Office and it helps. So uh, the main character, Michael Scott, there, there's an episode where he's running into money problems. He, yeah, you know where I'm going, those of you who've seen the show. <laughs> he's, he has debt and he's, he's just having a lot of issues. And he goes to a, a coworker and the coworker says, Michael, if you would just declare bankruptcy, all of your problems will go away. <laughs> and so Michael Scott, he gets up in the middle of the office and he shouts, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> And then uh, another coworker came up to him and said, hey, you know, you can't just shout bankruptcy and expect something to happen. He said, I didn't shout bankruptcy. I declared bankruptcy. <laughs> but, but I feel like much of the Western church treats revival like that, <laughs> that if we just shout it loud enough, if we just say it enough, then it will happen. And there is power in our words. I'm not gonna, not gonna dilute that, but, but there is a recipe for revival that, that doesn't change with culture. <laughs> that the old ancient ways of the saints of old, that is still the way to revival. That is still the process God uses to heaven coming down and resting with the people. What is it? It's prayer, it's fasting. It's the old gym of prayer, fasting, aching for God. Those things have not changed. Even though we're living in a culture where, where social media and, and we're in all these new graphics and the metaverse and all that, still, the thing has not changed. The main thing is still the main thing. Prayer, worship, loving him. That's still God's recipe for revival. And I, I believe truly in my, with all my heart that, that the cross of Jesus Christ, the precious cross, we just celebrated Easter, uh, many times the Western church treats the precious cross as really a, as a front door to merely a better life of fulfilling your dreams and passions. And there is some truth to that, but I want to propose that the cross is not merely a front door to living your best life now. The cross is a daily uniform made of wood that we wear, that we put on. It is the centrality of our faith, it is not merely a front door, it is our uniform made of wood that we put on. It's, it's, it's Jesus. I've heard, I've heard it said before, incredible woman of God said this, the cross gave me God and I realized God gave me a cross. God gave me a, a cross. The cross gave me him. God gave me a cross. This is what Paul talks about when he's saying, I want to know him in his sufferings. I want to know the sufferings of Jesus. I want to know. I've heard a really wise man say once before, anytime you're going through a difficult season, a tough, having a bad day, put your arms out and look at your hands. And if there are no holes in your palms, then you're doing okay. It's, it's the cross. It's Jesus. He is the way of revival. When we get him, we get everything. And how many of you recognize in this hour, there is a thirst for Jesus like never before right now. 
There's a thirst in not only in the body of Christ, but in the world for the unadulterated, pure, holy person of Jesus. And Isaiah 41, 17 says, the poor and needy are seeking water. I wanna suggest that there is a river flowing from this house that will be a watering hole, not only for the nations, not only for the Metroplex, but it will be a watering hole for Jesus to come drink from our worship. See, Holy Week, Jesus uh, went to Jerusalem, but he kept making the two mile jump over to the town called Bethany. (laughs) What street do we live, what street is this church on? (laughs) Bethany Drive. Why did he go to Bethany in the most, in the most intense week of his life, it's because his friends were there. It's because his friends were there. He wanted to be refreshed by his friends. He wanted to drink of the worship that they were giving him. And I believe this house not only has a mandate for the nations to drink of, but it has a mandate for Jesus to come and refresh himself, that his presence feels safe here, that this is where he feels at home. And I just love that, so prophetic, Bethany Drive. You know, as a, as, a young, as a young man, there's so much that I'm encouraged about happening around the world right now. There's so many people coming to the Lord. There's such a, a, a new radical move of young people seeking the Lord. But at the same time, there's a lot that really troubles me that's happening on the earth right now. And if you haven't noticed, there is a great revealing happening right now between Babylon and the bride. There is a great separation as the time gets closer and closer to the coming of Jesus. That separation will become more and more clear between Babylon and the bride. And I believe in this season, the Lord is swinging his axe at the root of this church, of his entire bride, getting Babylon out of his bride. (laughs) The father will not present his son with a bride that has earthly mixture. He will present a bride that does not have Babylon in her heart, but has one groom in her heart who is the father, who is Jesus. That's what he's, I feel like he's doing. And I believe when God starts swinging his ax at the root of the church, the only way we survive is if we go lower than the root. Who is the root? He's called the root of David, Jesus, the root of David. When we go lower than the root, that's how we save ourselves in times of shaking. We're talking about shaking up things. Things are shaking right now. How do we survive a season like this? Go lower than the root and you'll be okay. (laughs) You'll be safe. Go lower than Jesus is. I've, I've said it before, but the highest calling of ministry we could ever attain is the ministry of the feet. The highest ministry is not, is not stadiums, it's not, it's not YouTube. The highest ministry that we are called to is the ministry of his feet. When you go low in heaven, that's him saying you're gonna go high. The ministry of his feet. And there, there, are, never, there are no substitutes for that right there. How many of you know every issue of the heart is found right there in that place? There are no substitutes for loving Jesus. I heard a story of a, of a pastor who was just so bogged down by all these counseling appointments. So many people on his staff and his congregation were just having so many issues. There were people not getting along. There's just so much going on. And finally, he, he began asking each person this question. He began asking, what is your time with Jesus like? <laughs> and 
every single one of them said, uh, <laughs> it's been a while. He's like, no wonder. And he said, I am not going to counsel one more person <laughs> until they commit to going away for a week, not going away, but spending a week, an hour a day for a week, locked up with Jesus and in the scriptures. Then come back to me and see how many problems you have. His counseling appointments got cut by like 80%. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus is the one thing that changes everything. He's the one thing that changes everything. Every issue of the heart is found in his presence. So I, I say all that to say what we have here in our midst is not, it's not common. <laughs> it's precious. And I want to tell us as a, as a house, guard the flame. Keep, keep the water pure. Keep the water pure. Let's not ever treat this as common. And I, I studied a lot of revival history. I love revival history. And typically in revival history, God always makes a big announcement when he shows up, but he's very quiet when he leaves. God typically makes a big scene when he comes, but it's very subtle when he leaves. And I just want to tell us as a house that what got us here is what will keep us here. <laughs> guard the flame, guard the fire. What, what got us here to this moment? What got us here to, to why did Wednesday night touch us so much? Why was Friday night so beautiful? It's because of prayer, fasting, it's loving him. The recipe for revival never changes. It stays the same. He changes for no one. The remedy he gave the, the church of Ephesus. You know, we talked about the series of Revelation last year. But the remedy he gave to the church of Ephesus, he said, hey, you're, you're doing all these things right. Your numbers are looking good. The giving's great. However, one thing I have against you, when I cut you open and see what's really going on, your heart is not burning for me. <laughs> I could care less about the numbers. I could care less about how big you are. Does your heart burn for me? <laughs> and I believe the Lord is taking his bride back to this one question. Do I burn for Jesus? Do I burn with love? Do I have oil in my heart for him? You know, the, the, I was talking with pastors Dave and Nicole Friday and that series on Revelation so marked me that uh, it really changed my perspective in life. Every, anytime a, a crisis came, I would think to myself, is what I'm doing right now, will I take this to eternity or will it burn up in the fire? Will I take this to eternity? <laughs> and I believe the Lord is really calling us to live with eternity in mind. There's a prayer I pray that I heard Mike Bickle pray called, he says, shock me now, Lord. Don't shock me when I stand in the throne. It's a mercy when God reveals to you how you stand before him before you really stand before him in the throne. Shock me now. Don't shock me in the throne room. Shock me now. Lord, if there's anything, I want my heart to burn for you. I want my heart to burn. So I say, I, his, his remedy to the church was uh, repent, <laughs> repent. And repentance is, it's, it's not merely saying I'm sorry. I believe that's confession. That's the front door. But repentance is turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. Many times uh, we repent of sin, we turn away from sin and we just cling to another sin right here. <laughs> and that's not repentance. It's, it's I'm saying no. Every fiber of my being is saying no to this. It's saying yes to him. And I believe to be a people of his presence, we must be a people of repentance. To be a people of presence, 
We must be a people of consistent, continual repentance. So pillars of fire this morning, I really want to just take us uh, as a house and just put language to where we are, what got us here and, and tell everyone really what are the non-negotiables in the kingdom of God? See, every move of God, every pillar of fire that's ever, that's ever been sparked in the nation or in the world, they all have common threads of revival. They'll have common things that, that never change. And so um, I want to give this morning three pillars or principles of sustaining, uh, gaining and sustaining revival. Three pillars. And so um, if any of you have ever been to our Connect class, how many of you have been through our Connect class before here at Dwell? So we have a, have a booklet where we have our pillars, the pillars of our culture. These are the non-negotiables that, that keep the fire burning here at Dwell. And so I'm going to be using some of those today, pillars of this house, of what is in the DNA of this house. And I'm also, I added a few more pillars. And they all start with a P because it's easy, easier for preachers when everything starts with the same letter. Continuity, right? <laughs> So the first, uh, the first one I want to give is the pillar of principle or the pillar of the word of God. Principle is the word of God, the pillar of principle. I believe there has never been a more urgent hour to know the scriptures than now. <laughs> we are living in a, in, a, in a world where opinions, cultures of opinions are shaping scripture rather than scripture shaping opinions. It's happening in so many churches, the body of Christ. I mean, I'm in my little bubble here at Dwell where it seems like everything's great. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's happening right there. That's happening right there. And, and there's no judgment or anything, but I'm saying, Lord, touch that church, touch that pastor, mark them, Lord, show them the truth. And so that, that's, that's where we're at right now in this world. And, and as the age draws near to Jesus' coming, I believe, like I said, Babylon and the bride will continue to separate. And so... Scripture tells me what to do. I don't tell scripture what to do. I just want to put it out there. I think we all know that here in this house, but I just want to put it out there. Scripture tells me what to do. I don't tell scripture what to do. And I believe with all my heart, if we are not building a daily relationship with the scriptures, we will end up building a golden calf thinking it's a lamb. That's how important this is. The scriptures, the word of God. If we are not building a daily relationship with this, and it's not just paper, it's the person. It says Jesus in print right here. We will end up building a golden calf thinking it is a lamb. And when we remove the true meaning of scripture from the church, we get a counterfeit gospel. Counterfeit gospel. And how many of you know there's no weapon in spiritual warfare like the word of God? And I believe many, many believers are stuck being attacked by demons just because you don't know what John 3.16 means. <laughs> you don't know the Beatitudes. It's, it's, that, it's that important. It's that crucial to our walk. And my, my favorite scripture on spiritual warfare you know, back to spiritual warfare, Pastor Bill Johnson, he, he pastored us at Bethel. He said, he's in his seventies and he said a couple of years ago that he's never seen a time in his life when there's been more of an attack, an onslaught on the minds of believers than now, right, right in, this, in this hour we're living in. I mean, how, how many of you can say in the past three years since COVID started, you've been through like a crazy attack in your mind or, or spiritually, there's been things happen that you've never experienced your entire life. 
And I believe in, in Ephesians 6 is really my favorite blueprint to using the scripture to fight. Ephesians 6, Paul gives us this, uh, this analogy of a Roman soldier's armor. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the, the helmet of salvation. I used to have a little outfit from, that I got from the family Christian bookstore. <laughs> that my mom got me that had the Roman soldier thing. Anyway, <laughs> it had a sword. There was a sword and it's, it's, they call it the sword of the spirit. And Paul is, is using this as an analogy. Yes, the, the sword of the, the spirit, the, the, the word of God is used to fight the demonic, but also this Roman sword had another use for after the battle, when the battle was over. The soldier would sit down, would examine his armor and look at where are places in my armor where fiery darts of the enemy got through. He would get that sword and he would carve the arrows of the enemy out little by little, one by one. And I believe when we sit down reading this scripture, we're not just hitting a wall, but the sword of God is going. I'm taking that lie out of your mind. I'm taking the accusation out of your head. I'm taking this out. I'm taking this out of your, like this is what the word of God does. When we set down with scripture, the Holy Spirit's saying, ah, oh, let me take that out. Let me carve that out. The sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And just a side note in, in spiritual warfare, uh, I, the Holy Spirit really taught me this, that in spiritual warfare, that is not a time to self-examine yourself. <laughs> I mean, you know, in a battle, that is not the time to think, how am I doing right now? How's my gun looking? No, in spiritual warfare, when the bullets are flying, that's not the time to do that. There is a time and place to talk with the Lord and say, how am I doing right now, Daddy God? But that's not the time for it. <laughs> that's not the time for it. It's after the battle, after the battle, go, be with the Lord. How am I doing right now? Get the lies, get the arrows of the enemy out. Every revival that's ever hit planet earth requires a fresh revelation of Jesus. Every revival, the person of Jesus and the earth right now is in a desperate need for a fresh revelation of the beautiful one, of the precious one, of the holy one. And to be a people of revival, we must be a people of revelation in the word of God. And I wanna read, uh, my first scripture is Luke 24. If we can turn there, I think it'll be up on the screen. Luke 24 is a story of the road to Emmaus. And what we can learn from this is to see how Jesus hides a fresh revelation of himself through the scriptures. And if we want to live in the wonder of God, I believe we must be people of the word of God. To live in wonder, we must live in the word. So I wanna read here, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about 70 miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Anytime you see in scripture, Jesus came near, always take note, what caused him to come? What caused him to come? When he stays in a place, ask yourself, what is causing him to stay right now? So he began to walk along with him. I believe the implication here is, our conversations that we have when we think God is not engaged with us can either draw Jesus close or reject him. 
How many of you have ever been in a conversation with a friend about the Lord and all of a sudden just the wind of heaven comes? It's like, wow, where did that come from? He comes, he rests on our, on our language. Verse 16, it says, but they were prevented from recognizing him. And in the book of Mark, it says they couldn't recognize him because Jesus appeared to them in a different form, in a different form. I realize in my life that typically the way I expect God to meet me in a season is not usually the way God plans on meeting me in a season. <laughs> I mean, we've been in a season like that before. It's like, I know you're gonna do this. Oh, you're totally taking me this way. He came in a different form. And I just wanna suggest to us, every revival and move of God typically comes in a package that offends the carnal mind. We all want revival, but sometimes we don't want the package revival comes in. <laughs> he came in a different form. He came in a different package and they didn't recognize him. Revival, every move of God comes in a, in a package that really offends the carnal mind. And I can't prove it, but I think the Lord likes offending our... Uh, <laughs> our belief about how he should show up. In the 90s, there was a great outpouring of the Lord called the Toronto Blessing. It, a lot of what I experienced in my life traces back my spiritual history to the Toronto Blessing because Bill Johnson came out of that, Randy Clark came out of that, Heidi Baker came out of that, and Bethel came out of that. So, so much came from that, that move of God. And so many people were offended because it was a revival of laughter. People were laughing in the spirit. It's like, how dare people be happy in, in the church? <laughs> they were so offended that people were laughing in the spirit. The Welsh revival, it was a revival of weeping. It was a revival of tears, of weeping before the Lord that offended people. And we've all heard in Pentecostal circles, the holy roller is rolling around on the floor. <laughs> you may ask, where is all that in scripture? I wanna say it's Psalms 115. It says, the Lord does as he pleases. <laughs> Not as I please. <laughs> it says he pleases. See, the Lord... The Lord, what did I put here? Every revival and move of God comes in a package that offends us. And I wanna say God never violates his word, but he does not mind violating my understanding of that word. <laughs> and I believe in the coming days and the coming hours, we need to be okay with God breaking our boxes. <laughs> With what, what, what is this next move going to look like? I don't know. But as long as I get him in the process, I'm okay. <laughs> Just give me Jesus and I'll be good. I don't care what it looks like. I trust him. He is a good shepherd. And I trust him. He not, never violates his word, but he does not mind violating our understanding. There, there was a specific time that I was going through a really difficult season personally. And um, I remember turning on YouTube. I forget if it was Instagram. And this sermon popped up of a, of, a, of a pastor that was kind of just an opposite stream of, of where I felt I was. And I really disagreed with a lot of this person's approach to ministry and approach to the Bible. But as I listened, I realized the word that was coming from this pastor was exactly the word of the Lord I needed, the ammunition to get me to my breakthrough on the other side of where I was. It was like, the Lord, I believe, sometimes tests our hunger by hiding what we're hungry for in a package or a group of people or a person that we want nothing to do with. 
So sometimes you need to ask yourself, how hungry am I for this? Because sometimes he will hide that thing you're hungry for in a person, in a package, in a denomination, in something that you want nothing to do with. How hungry are you for him? See, when the word of the Lord goes forth, when the word of the Lord goes forth, our responsibility is to recognize the presence of God on it. Our responsibility is not the approval of the package or the messenger or the person it comes through. (laughs) I've seen some of the most anointed people are some of the most weirdest people. (laughs) I remember the first time I saw Stephanie Gretzinger, I'm like, where did this girl come from? But Lord, there's oil on her lips. There's oil on her heart. It's God. Hunger is tested. Jesus was preaching a very famous sermon that it didn't end up being famous later, but he had thousands of people right in front of him. Thousands of people hungry to hear the word. Then he started talking about eating my flesh <laughs> and drinking my blood. And scripture says, and I take this literally, that every single person in that thousand group of thousands left him except the 12. Every single person, the Messiah, the package of the Messiah was there, but because of their offense, they, they rejected it. What offense do we have in our hearts that we're subconsciously rejecting the presence of God in? And he asked the 12, he said, are you guys gonna leave too? I love that. Because one thing about Jesus, see, most pastors would go chase that crowd down and say, wait, 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 come back. Here's what I really meant by that. Here, I I meant it's a metaphor, eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's my body, I'm gonna die. He didn't do that. (laughs) He said, if you can't feel the presence of God on my words, then you're not worthy of me. So he asked the 12, are you gonna leave too? Are Are you gonna leave too? And Peter said, where else am I gonna go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I wanna suggest to us that I believe the disciples did not understand what Jesus was talking about any more than the crowds that left. (laughs) I believe they had no idea what he was talking about any more than the crowds that left. But here's one thing I do know. They knew when he speaks, my heart comes alive. When he speaks, there's fire in my heart. Why could I, how could I leave this one? who has words that satisfy the deepest places of my heart. Who cares if I'm offended by it? It, He's on it. I want him. I believe many of you come in this room. You're not here for a Binion concert or because we have great teaching or because we have the prettiest building. You're here because God is here. God lives here. God lives here. Every time we come in, my heart comes alive because I know God is here. Even when I'm here, when no one's here, I'm vacuuming the floors. Oh, Jesus. I remember the time there were tears right here on the floor. I remember when you healed that person. I remember, thank you, that there's there's glory that's saturated in these walls. There's glory here. There's glory here. Verse 17, I got so off track. (laughs) He asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? I'm not sure if you've realized this, but when Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) It's because he's trying to draw the answer out of you. (laughs) He says, what are you talking about? The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in the last days? 
What things? Jesus asked them. I love that. He's playing dumb. The things, consider, the, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene. Just a side note, without the Holy Spirit, we get so dumb that we end up asking Jesus if he's ever heard of himself. <laughs> yeah, have you heard of this guy named Jesus? He's just, oh yeah, tell me more about that. He said, concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet. See, what they said about Jesus, it wasn't untrue, it was just incomplete. He was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. He was the Lord. He was the Savior. And I want to say, to preach a Jesus who has not been crucified is to preach an incomplete Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified. See, we can't choose which scriptures we want to believe and which ones we want to reject. We have to have all the scriptures. We have to have all the, Je- all the Jesus, the complete Jesus. I've heard it said, the saints of old said, if he's not Lord of all, if he's not Lord at all. <laughs> it's true. In the early church, whenever people would claim to have seen the resurrected Jesus, the first question they would ask them, did he have holes in his hands? Did he have a wound in his side? Because my Jesus is a suffering king who's acquainted with my pain. It's acquainted. See, the, the moment we become more aware of his pain than our own pain, we forget about our own pain. Be acquainted with the crucified Jesus. Acquainted with him. Verse 25. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer those things and enter his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Can you imagine this? The resurrected Jesus. It's a two-hour walk to, from Emmaus to where they were going. Walking with the resurrected Jesus, him walking you through every place in scripture from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament where he is spoken of. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Everything is about him. Some people say, oh, that's the Old Testament. Well, all they had was the Old Testament. And Jesus was pointing himself out to the, new, to the believers in the Old Testament. Genesis 3, the first person to ever preach the gospel was God himself. It's called the Proto-Evangelum. It's called the first evangelism. It's the scripture where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. In Genesis 3, it's shouting, Jesus is coming. The king is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And the life of Noah, an ark made of wood, floated on the depths of the earth, and the side of it opened up and released a dove. Jesus, who would descend, and his side would open up and have blood and water coming out, speaking of baptism and purity and salvation. The ark speaks of Jesus. The life of Moses, whenever the Israelites were struck with a plague and dying, he grabbed a pole, a wooden pole, and wrapped a bronze snake around it, speaking of Jesus, who would hang on a wooden tree who had become sin, which is the serpent. Moses held it up and said, look and live, look and live and get your healing. When Jesus is up on the cross, that's a prophetic act saying, look at me and be healed. Look at me and live. The life of Joseph, Joseph loved by his father, hated by his brothers, thrown in a pit, ascended to the right hand of the king. 
I know another man that where that happened, hated by all, descended to the pit of death, raised up to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is Jesus. Can I say one more? <laughs> the life of Jonah, swallowed in the belly of the well for three days. The well couldn't contain him, so spit him out. Who else was swallowed in the belly of death for three days? Death could not contain him, so he was spit out. Scripture is about Jesus. It's him. It all points to him. The life of Joseph isn't about Joseph. It's about the Messiah coming. It's about him. So all that to say, if we want to be people of revival, we must become people of revelation, seeing Jesus through the word, beholding new facets, new, new depths of himself through the scriptures, through the written word. Second thing, second pillar, pillar of purity. I almost drank my water with the cap on. <laughs> that would have been weird. No judgment. Thank you, Clay. Appreciate it. No judgment here. There's a man by the name of Paul Cain. How many of you have ever heard of Paul Cain before? He's an incredible prophet. Uh, wasn't perfect by any means, but he uh, was very influential in the International House of Prayer movement. Paul Cain had a prophetic word he released. He felt like the Lord said, there's a generation coming in that to a people without mixture, I will pour my spirit without measure. To a people without mixture, I will pour my spirit without measure. If you think about pure water, pure water is merely water with the least amount of additions to it, the least amount of additives. And, and, and I believe the Lord is removing the mixture in his bride. Believe the bride has gotten too much, too diluted with the ways of the world in the name of reaching the world. And the Lord is lovingly, Jesus is lovingly creating a bride filled with purity again. To be a people of sustained presence, it requires us to be a people of sustained purity. 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 See, gifting can wow us for a moment, but it's purity that sustains us. Purity sustains us. And we can't glory in our own purity because the only reason we're pure is because Jesus made us pure. <laughs> so anytime we think, oh, I'm, 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 I'm too holy, it's like, no, the only reason you're holy is because he's holy and he made us holy. I believe that we don't have to choose between purity and power. It goes hand in hand, purity of God and the power of God. And I believe those who have gifting but no purity end up pointing people to themselves. I heard a story, Pastor David shared it maybe a year or two ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but <laughs> there's a, the story goes, there's a pastor. He was a, he, he pastored back in the, in the day, 50s, 60s, before there were phones or anything like that, cell phones. And he was a bigger pastor, just a bigger man, uh, overweight and he loved on Sundays to go to different members' houses in his congregation on Sunday nights. And so he would get so embarrassed, though, because when he would go in to talk, he would sit down and he would break their chairs and break their furniture because he was so big. And he would get so embarrassed that eventually it came to the point where before he would go into the house, he would look and peek in the window to see if they have furniture that can sustain his weight that he's going to sit on. 
And I believe in the same way, the Lord right now is peeking through the windows of our lives, seeing if there is a purity in the living rooms of our hearts that can, can sustain the weight of glory he wants to pour out on us. I believe the Lord, he's, he's about power and purity, but he is more invested in my purity than my power. Because power won't get me to heaven, only my purity will. The purity of Jesus will get me to heaven. Purity of Jesus. The Lord, I believe, is looking for a people where the magnitude of their character matches the magnitude of the power of God. Where the magnitude of their purity matches the magnitude of the anointing on their lives. That's why we go through something called the process. <laughs> That's why we go through desert seasons, because God is shaping the character. So he, he's saying, if you are, I want to pour out everything that's promised to you, but there's character issues in place. There's fractions in the foundations of your heart that if I poured everything out right now, it would crush you. It would crush you. God desires the magnitude of his power to match the magnitude of our purity because if the magnitude of his power is greater than the magnitude of my purity, it will crush me. And sadly, we've seen a lot of that in the body of Christ. We've seen a lot of that. I believe in much of the, the Western church, there's been really a softness towards sin. There's been a softness towards it. Hebrews 12.4 says, you have not resisted sin until the shedding of blood. Think about how intense that is. You have not resisted sin until the shedding of blood. I believe we need to ask ourselves as a bride, do we have the right intensity towards sin in our lives? Do we have the right intensity towards sin? In the Old Testament, the law was, don't commit adultery. That's a lot of gray area there. It's like, okay, don't commit adultery. Jesus came and said, if you even look at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery. He raised the stakes for purity. He raised the stakes. Scripture says, let not even a hint of sexual immorality be among you. Why? Because a hint of sin never stays a hint. If you give sin a hint, it will devour your entire life. Don't let even a hint come in your life. You know, I was sitting uh, recently with a couple worship leaders who were very influential, very successful in they were telling me that when they're, when they're around my generation, millennials, the question that they get asked all the time is, how do I make albums? How do I grow my following? How do I grow my influence? How do I do concerts? And in my heart, I was really grieved because I really feel like the questions that will matter in eternity, the questions we should be asking is, how do I stay on fire for Jesus my whole life? How do I keep a healthy marriage and a healthy family? How do I raise kids who will burn for him? How do I have a ministry of longevity? Not the size of its impact, but how do I stay the course and stay pure? How do I raise up a people of purity? How do I lead a life of longevity? How do I bring Jesus in the room and keep him in the room? <laughs> Those are the questions we need to be asking right now. Influence has become an idol in the culture. The Lord will use influence. I'm not saying that, but when it replaces Jesus, that's an issue. <laughs> it's an issue. And in the coming days, 
I believe we will have even more shaking that will reveal what is wood, hay, and stubble in the church and what is gold, silver, and precious stone. These are the things that are gold, silver, and precious stone. Do we have oil on our hearts? Do we have oil? Do we shed a tear when he comes into the room? Do we fall on our faces when he breathes on us? This is the precious one. This is the holy one. These are the things we take with us to eternity. Last one, and uh, I could have keys come up. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. The pillars, I, I combine this, the pillars of prayer and presence. It's the last three, the last two. My second favorite person in the Bible right now, well, there's Jesus, obviously. <laughs> then King David is probably my, my favorite. And then uh, beneath him is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, known as Mary Magdalene. I love, I just love her heart response to the Lord. Like how she loves him, when she loves him, what she says when he comes in the room, how she responds to him. I love it. Mary of Bethany is a very underrated person in scripture. She doesn't have a lot of screen time. <laughs> but when we see her, she's either doing one of three things. She's either weeping for Jesus, pouring her love on Jesus, or she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Her life is a life that Jesus is central. She's Jesus-centered. And she never says a lot but when she does speaks, it's profound. It's profound. And Jesus is constantly defending Mary. Everyone's asking, why is she doing this? Why is she wasting that? Why, 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 why? What is she doing sitting at the feet all day? We gotta do stuff, we gotta do stuff, we gotta do stuff. I hear that same accusation in the body of Christ today. <laughs> You're gonna get up at 6, 5.30 and go pray, why? because I love him. He's beautiful. I take that to heaven with me. That's oil I take to heaven. My sleep, I won't take to heaven. <laughs> but my oil, I will. I believe there was a depth in the heart of Jesus that Mary unlocked that no one else unlocked while he was on the earth. There was a cry in her, a hunger in her that unearthed something in the presence of God that no one else could access because she was a friend. And I believe we have that same mantle here on this house that we, if we steward it properly, we can access realms of the heart of God that very few get to access because of purity, because of the power of God, because of the principle, the word of God. Mary of Bethany was one of those people who didn't have to say much to say a lot. You ever been around someone who they can say a lot without saying much? There's such a depth to them. A.W. Tozer said, men who cannot be silent will not say anything when they talk. It is only out of the silence that the word of God speaks. We are likely to be so busy that we do not get anything done and so talkative that we never say anything. <laughs> I want to read here the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. We can turn there. 
come, Lord Jesus. This is a very familiar passage. I'm sure we're all aware of it, where the brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, dies, and Jesus waits, I forget, is it four days, three days to come and raise him? And it's this event, we kind of glaze over. It is so, it so disturbs the demons <laughs> that this event triggers the Pharisees and the religious people to follow up on their plans to crucifying Jesus. This event is so offensive to them that this is the tipping point that leads Jesus to Calvary. This story is about death, disappointment, waiting, pain, and crushing that Mary of Bethany experiences. The chapter directly after this, Mary of Bethany, we see, is pouring her oil on Jesus. I believe what this saying is saying is the crushing you experience in one season becomes the oil you pour out on Jesus in the next season. The crushing is oil. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. That, name, that word Gethsemane means oil press. It's where oil is formed that we may love him better, that we may lo- know him better through the crushing. That crushing in your life, it's not, it's not for nothing. God, it's, it's, God prepared you for everything that you're facing. To think you are unprepared right now for what you're facing is to call God a bad steward of your life. He is the steward of your life. The crushing produces oil in this season that I take to the throne in the next season to love him with. And that oil gives me access in the deeper places of his heart that I didn't have before the crushing. If you steward the crushing rightly, it'll take you to a deeper place of his heart. It's the oil. Gethsemane oil press. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she was heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Mary is always sitting. (laughs) Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Typically when people tell Jesus, I know, that really means they don't know. It's never a good idea to tell Jesus, I know. Usually exposes the fact that you know nothing right now. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's to come in the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. So in other words, when there is crisis, Jesus asks, go bring me someone who adores me, not someone who wants to talk theology. Bring me someone who knows how to move my heart, not someone who has all the intellect, who has all the knowledge. Bring me someone who has oil on their heart. I don't want to talk theology. I want to talk with someone who knows me, who knows how to move my heart. 
When there's crisis, Jesus isn't looking for debaters or theologians or intellectuals. He's saying, give me someone who has oil on their heart who can move me. He's looking for friends. He's looking for friends. He's looking for friends. Friendship. Friendship. I feel like so much of the body of Christ these 10 years has raised up managers, business people with the title of a pastor. And it's like, he's looking for lovers. That's the, all that's fine. I'm glad we have those giftings. We need them in the body of Christ. But what should triumph all of that is lovers. We need lovers. 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 When Jesus was resurrected, the tomb was empty. Mary said, where have you laid him? I, I, I need the body. And I'm thinking to myself, what does a little girl want to do with a dead body? Lovers don't think. They just go after what they need. Lovers don't think. They just, I need him. Give him to me. Where is Jesus? Give him to me. Verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I love taking a snapshot here and seeing how Mary approaches Jesus. It says, Mary came to Jesus. She saw Jesus. She fell at his feet. She came, she saw, she fell. That is the proper response to Jesus. We come, we see, we fall. Monday morning prayer. I come, I see, I fall. Wednesday night worship and prayer. I come, I see, I fall. Friday noon prayer. I come, I see, I fall. This is what he's wanting. One of the ways I believe healing comes to our hearts is when we see Jesus rightly and keep our hearts tender to the cross. There were two different responses here to crisis. We see two sisters who have two different, completely different approaches to Jesus that provokes two responses to Jesus. Both Mary and Martha come to him and say the same thing. They say, where were you? Why weren't you here? Martha says it with accusation and offense, but Mary says it with tears in her eyes weeping. Where were you, Lord? Martha says it as a manager. Mary says it as a lover. Two different responses. Here's the warning. Mourning will either take you to accusation or offense or it will take you to the comforter. Mourning, pain, will either take you to rigidness of heart, unbelief, accusation to God, offense at God, or if you funnel it correctly through the crushing, it'll take you to oil. (laughs) Oil. It'll take you to the comforter. I want to ask everyone, is there hidden offense in our heart towards the Lord? Is there hidden offense in our heart towards people? I want to suggest that two people can pray the same prayer, but provoke two different responses in the Lord. (laughs) Two different responses. Later here in the scripture says verse 33. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. He groaned. Then Jesus, again, 
groaning in himself, came to the tomb. Two different prayers, two different responses. I believe there are prayers hidden so deep in the heart of God that our groaning creates a groaning in Jesus. That if you pray it correctly, if you position yourself correctly, your groan accesses a groan in heaven, a groan in God. Use the pain, use whatever you're, you're experiencing right now, turn it into a prayer, a cry to provoke a groan in God. Jesus groaning to the tomb goes up and calls Lazarus to come alive and, and is resurrected. Tears are the seedbed for resurrection. Another term for resurrection is revival. Tears are the seedbed for revival. What, what, is, what is God reviving? It's, he's resurrecting cities, I believe, in this hour. He's resurrecting families. He's resurrecting homes. He's resurrecting churches. He's resurrecting marriages. Tears are the seedbed that provoke a groan in Jesus that creates revival on the earth. If you want a revival, it's not about how loud you say it, but it's how deeply you pray it. How deeply do you access the heart of Jesus? How did Mary provoke a groan in Jesus? It's one question I ask myself. How did she provoke a groan? This little girl <laughs> provoke a groan in Jesus. The context of Mary's prayer was two things. It was knowing him and loving him. Knowing him and loving him. There are no substitutes for intimacy with Jesus. I believe the Lord is really calling his bride in this hour to lose the hustle of ministry. <laughs> lose the hustle and come sit at his feet. Come sit at his feet. A.W. Tozer, another quote, he said, if you are too busy in the Lord's work to spend time in the Lord's presence, then you are too busy in the Lord's work. If you are too busy in the Lord's work to spend time in the Lord's presence, then you are too busy in the Lord's work. No one will ever stand before the throne accusing God of his lack of availability. He is so accessible. You can have as much of Jesus as you want in this room. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to, you could, this could be your first time in church and you could have as much of him as you want to. That's how accessible it is. Paul said at the end of his life in Philippians 3.10, after attaining so much, planning so many churches. He wrote so much theology. He, so much could be said about this man's life. This is what he said at the end of his life. This is his one heart cry that was burning in him. That I may know Jesus and the resurrection. That I may know him. When people are at their deathbed, they're not going to be thinking how big was, how big was my business? How big was my church? They're thinking, how well did I know him? How well did I know the Lord? I grew up most of my life in ministry. I uh, was very ambitious. I had all these dreams as a young, young child, as a teenager of stadium ministry and, and books, writing hundreds of books. And all these were good things. They were godly things, but uh, it, Tanner was at the center. <laughs> If you ever want to know if your dream is a God dream or your dream, ask yourself, who is the hero of this dream? <laughs> Am I the hero or is Jesus the hero of this dream? And I was the hero in most of my dreams. And when, I, when we were 21, many of you have heard this story, but 
feel like the Lord called us to quit our ministry jobs and move across the country to California to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit at the waterfall at Bethel Church. And I had no microphone. (laughs) I thought I would never be in ministry again. And towards the end of our time there, the Lord was meeting us so beautifully, so deeply. I had encounters that still to this day I have, have yet to taste again. But in that, in that moment, in that little apartment, it was 105 Hilltop Drive, right in California. I had drained almost every cent of my bank account, almost had nothing. I had no ministry opportunity, had no church really. I had no microphone, no platform, but I had this. I had the kiss of Jesus in my room. And I said, Lord, I don't care if any of that ever happens. As long as I still have this, I'll be good forever. And that little apartment turned into my own personal garden of Eden. I said, all that, if you want to do that, that's great. But I just want you. You're my dream. Knowing you is my dream. Who moves my heart but you? Microphones don't feed my soul. This will not feed my soul. At the end of the day, when I walk off, my soul is not fed. I'm walking in my calling. I'm fulfilling my, my purpose. But when my soul is fed is when I go into my closet. I shut the door. Say, oh, Jesus, how I love you. How I love you. How I love you. <laughs> That's what feeds the soul. That's what feeds the soul. That's what feeds it. That season, my dreams of big impact, big ministry, big following, it died. And my heart honed in on this one daily cry that drives the entirety of my existence. And it's this, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Can we just stand and lift our hands? Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Just begin putting your attention on him. Just begin lifting your hands. Begin pouring your love out. Let's open up our mouths. Begin telling him you love him. Come on, let's, let's lift it up. Lift it up. We love you. We love you. We love you. Oh, how we love you. Like Mary of Bethany, we provoke a, a groan in heaven right now with our love. Begin pouring your love on him. Oh, let longing fill the room. Let aching fill the room. Let aching and longing fill the room. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Jesus said, the will of the Father is this, to cling to the Son. Many of you have been asking, what is the will of God for my life? I want to tell you, it's clinging to Jesus, and he'll show you everything else. The will of the Father is to cling to the Son. Many of you are looking for direction when Jesus is just looking for your affection right now. Oh, Jesus. I want to say one more thing and then let's, let's just continue to respond. We've been talking about knowing God today, knowing Jesus, knowing him. John 17.3 says, this is eternal life, to know him. Many of us have been taught that eternal life is coming to an altar or praying a prayer. Altars don't save you. Prayers don't save you. Only Jesus saves you. Some of us have been taught, fill out this salvation card and you'll, you'll be good. Salvation cards do not hang on the cross. Only the Lamb of God hangs on the cross. So I ask us with eyes closed, head bowed, do you know him? Do you know 
the precious king? A step further than that, have you known him? And is your heart cold this morning? Because he would love to light you on fire again. You can leave this room burning. We thank you, Lord, for a fresh baptism of fire this morning. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.